Let's turn to God's word and read together Psalm or Luke 24. Luke 24, page and found on page 1051. Page 1051. Bit of a long chapter, but I want to read the entire narrative, the true story of that Easter Sunday and what came out of that. Luke 24. Page 1051, our focus, our text this morning is verses 46 through 49, close to the end of the chapter, 46 through 49. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his word. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day... Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were walking or talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us 
while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were walking or talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while there was, they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So our text begins, And he said to them, this is, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple blessing God. This is God's holy word, and may He indeed bless us by it today and every day. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, I received an email on Wednesday. Pastor, you need to finish Luke 24. We need the rest of the Easter story. I dropped what I was doing on 2 Samuel 10 and went back to Luke 24. And indeed, we've got to take one more step in Luke 24. From Easter to the Great Commission. And there are so many moments of evangelism in Luke 24, at least six, I'll list them. First, The angels telling the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. The first evangelist, the angels. Second, the women running to tell the 11 disciples. Thirdly, Jesus himself showing and telling this good news to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Fourth, then these two disciples hurry to Jerusalem to tell the 11 disciples who are hiding in the upper room. Jesus is risen. Fifth moment of evangelism, Jesus himself appears to the 11 disciples and the others and shows and tells again the good news of the resurrection. And then the last one, finally, he gives them all the great commission. You go and tell the whole world that the scriptures are fulfilled, that Jesus has been crucified for for sin and risen from the dead. He is Lord. Take it to the world. Take it to the world. And indeed, that's what faith does. If we really believe in Christ crucified and risen from the dead, the only hope of the world, how can you hold on to that and hoard that and not tell others? 
telling others. It's how all the gospels end. Carries on through the book of Acts. Telling the good news. It must be proclaimed everywhere, brothers and sisters. You want to see the message of Easter this morning, the witnesses of Easter, and then the power of Easter. The message, the witnesses, and the power from Luke 24, 46 through 49. First, the message of Easter. His final appearance on Easter Sunday, Jesus' final appearance, was with the 11 disciples plus the other followers. We don't know how many at this time, but a group of men and women that by Pentecost numbered 120. There they are in the upper room. And he met with them on Sunday evening, the 11. Though Thomas perhaps was not with them, he still considered one of the 11 and he would be there later. The 11 with the others. And how does he start the gathering? With the benediction. That, that's where we end the get. He starts with the benediction. Peace to you. And then he answers their mixed emotions of doubt and fright and disbelief and amazement and joy. All that mixture of emotions. What's going on? By proving to them he was not a ghost. He had truly, fully, physically, really risen from the dead. And he proves that in three ways. First, he shows them his hands and feet. Secondly, he eats a piece of broiled fish. Ghosts don't eat, you know. And thirdly, his favorite proof. He went to the Bible. He proved his death and resurrection from scriptures. And he explained to them in the whole Old Testament. From Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. That's all the 39 books. That the Son of Man must suffer and die, and he must be raised from the dead, and he must be taken to the whole world. I would have loved to listen to that conversation. We sort of do get to listen to it. It's the New Testament. But how he showed from the Old Testament that Jesus must suffer and die and rise again. Maybe he started in Genesis 3.15, the mother promise where the seed of the serpent or the serpent would bruise the head or the heel of the seed of the woman, the Messiah, and suffer a defeat. But turn around and in crushing victory, crush the head of the serpent. A reference to the resurrection. Maybe he went to Genesis 22 where Isaac was tied to the altar and slain and then rose from the altar in a resurrection. Figuratively speaking, though he wasn't actually killed. Hebrews 11 says, figuratively speaking, that was a resurrection. He gets off the altar alive. Maybe he went through the life of Job. How he sunk deep, sank deep into the pit and then was raised up, exalted again as prince of the land. Maybe he talked about Job who also sank deep into suffering and affliction and then was exalted again and rewarded with glory at the end of the story. Certainly he went through Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 and Isaiah 53 and all these passages that begin with Messiah's suffering and end in his glory. And then as we sang, Psalm 22 ends by saying, Now take it to the world. 
the ends of all the earth shall hear and turn unto the Lord in fear. Not in fright, but fear meaning love with, mixed with reverence and awe and worship and amazement. The greatness and the graciousness of God. And so in the upper room that night, Jesus was telling them what was actually a very simple message. What the scriptures have prophesied about me today is fulfilled. The gospel is done. It's finished. The good news is finally fulfilled. It's complete and ready to roll. Ready to go. The Old Testament, the gospel is promised. It's it's in formation. And with the coming of Christ, it gets fulfilled. It gets completed in his death and resurrection. And now it's ready. Now take it to the world. Oh, we had some forays, witnessing forays in the Old Testament. Like Uriah the Hittite. Rahab, the prostitute, the Canaanite. Ruth the Moabitess. The widow of Zarephath, Naaman's healing as a Syrian. But now the age of evangelism of the Great Commission has arrived because the gospel is finished in the work of Jesus Christ. The message is complete. And he says in verse 46, the gospel is ready to go. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Take over the world. Take over the world. It's the only righteous kind of imperialism there is that the spiritual kingdom of our God be taken to the world and that people be taken captive not with swords, not with guns, not with tanks, but with good news, with good news. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Comes down to this. Forgiveness of sins is the message you must proclaim. And repentance and faith in Jesus Christ are the way into that message, the way to receive that message. But the essential message is forgiveness of sins. If you come to Jesus as a broken sinner and you confess your sins to him and ask him to save you, I am rotten, Lord. My heart is evil. I am a criminal in the sight of God. Please save me from me. Please make me right with God. Please take my guilt away and bring me into your kingdom and make me your own child. Then that's what he will do. That's the message. He will forgive you. And the resurrection is proof of that, remember. 
That his death was a payment for sin. And if he stayed dead, the payment didn't go through. It didn't succeed. You're still in your sin if he stayed dead. A dead Jesus can't save you. But he's risen. And that means the payment was successful. He paid for sin in full. God approved and raised son from the dead. And now there's forgiveness for you and for all nations, brothers and sisters. For all nations, not for you alone. What a message. I can't think of better news for the world. Your sins are trampled under God's feet and squished to death. They're thrown into the depths of the sea and can't be found anymore. They're nailed to Jesus in the tree and buried and won't come out again. Wow. They're gone. They're blotted out. They're washed away. If you think of these three biblical pictures, sinners are those who are locked up in a prison cell. Sin locks up your life. Takes away all your freedom. Sin puts you in a tomb that shuts up your life so that you are the living dead. Sin puts you, thirdly, under a death sentence that hangs over your head because you know God hates sin and will punish you, the sinner, with eternal damnation unless you get rid of your sin. And forgiveness is that in Jesus alone, the prison cell is unlocked and opened. The tomb is opened. The death sentence is removed. All that was put on the son who was imprisoned on the cross, tied down, entombed in the grave, put under the eternal death sentence of God to set you free. Do you believe that message? Are you free? Have your burdens been lifted at Calvary? You may have been going to your church, to church all your life and have never personally come to this message, no, come to this person and said, set me free from my sins for the sake of Christ your son. Are you enjoying the freedom of knowing that God has washed away your sins through the blood of his son and that he loves you and that he accepts you and you're forever his. Verse 48. Now you go tell the world. You are his witnesses. What? Me? That's what we see secondly, the witnesses of this message. Verse 47, repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. You are witnesses. Jesus, we thought that you would do that. Or, or, or send angels. They're, they're pretty good at it. They convinced the women at the tomb. You. And in that you, you have to see the 11. Thomas will soon be included. Paul will be added. 
Matthias will be added to see the 12. But in that room, there are many others as well. So they're the apostles who are central in this commission. You are witnesses. But there's the whole church that's included. Some are especially ordained as apostles and prophets in apostolic times and now as pastors, teachers. And consider today Jesus might be putting his hand on you and saying, I mean you. I want you to lead the way and be at the forefront, the frontiers of demolishing the kingdom of darkness with the good news of Jesus Christ. So maybe there's a young boy here or more than one or an older boy, a teenager or somebody in his early 20s or even 30s. Consider that God may be calling you to be his witness. In a special way, as an ordained pastor, missionary, it's really the same thing. Pray about it. Prepare. Bring your desire to the elders. Talk about it. But it's also for all of us, brothers and sisters. We're not the frontline witnesses. We're not eyewitnesses like the apostles and the rest of the group were. But we have the testimony of their eyewitness reports in the scriptures, in the old and new covenants, which is the most important proof there is, the word of God. We've got these infallible reports of the frontline witnesses we have his word made more certain. You are witnesses. And the word witness in the Greek is martyr. You are martyrs for the cause of Christ. Now I know martyr has come to mean somebody who dies for the faith. But its first meaning is somebody who knows the truth. Who knows the door to salvation for all people. And you're called to testify. You're called to be a martyr, a witness for the sake of Christ. And to tell the whole world that Jesus died to make a perfect offering to God for sin. That's the first part of our witness to our neighbors and to the whole world. Jesus says it here. The Bible speaks about his death, his suffering and death. Tell your neighbor, God sent Jesus to die for sin. We're all under a death sentence for breaking God's covenant. We're under a curse. God sent his son to stand in our place in that broken covenant and become a curse for us. And he died to pay for sin. 
He is God's perfect offering for your sin. Believe in him. And the second thing to tell, he's not only dead. Sometimes we give a 50% message, Jesus died for sin. He's risen from the dead. His payment was successful. He's victorious over sin and over death. And in Jesus, there's a gateway for you to eternal hope and life and freedom and God. There's a door out of your tomb. The world is such a dark and hopeless place. And the marks of this are seen in our culture. In the culture of despair. Where people are living without purpose. Because they do not know the gospel. And they see no way out of the tomb of this present life. We have the key. Jesus rose. Tell them he died. Tell them he rose. Thirdly, tell them there's forgiveness for your sins in him. You can enter this life by believing in him and having all your sin and guilt and shame removed and become right with God. And that's the fourth part of our message. Jesus died. He rose for the forgiveness of sins. Repent and believe that gospel. Too often the message is just a recipe for self-improvement. People see Christianity as a recipe for self-improvement. A way to become more successful. A way to become more powerful. No, 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 no. Here's the message. You need to be so disgusted with yourself as a sinner that you die to yourself. And you need to see the answer is not in you. But run to Jesus. Take your sins to him. Your wickedness to him. Confess them to him. Ask him to cover you. To make you new. To make you his own. To take you into his kingdom. And he will not turn you away. I am dirty, Lord. Please make me clean. There. That's what we share. He died. He rose. That's forgiveness. Repent. And he's yours. And you're his. And you have life. You're witnesses of these things. Those things specifically. Where are you witnesses? It must be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You see, the Jews had that expectation. They would stay in Jerusalem and people from all nations would come to them asking them for the good news. But Isaiah says, no, no, no. The good news is going to go out from Jerusalem to all the nations. And that's why the first word in the Great Commission in Matthew is go. Go. The nations have been given unto the Lord Jesus Christ. They're here's in his inheritance. And he calls you as the commander of the army of the kingdom of God. He calls us 
to go out with the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's through us that he'll take the nations captive for the kingdom of Christ, for the kingdom of God. Through our deeds and our words. And in this way the nations will become part of Jerusalem, a worldwide Jerusalem, the holy city. When you see those words, brothers and sisters, take it to the nations. It's to be proclaimed to all nations. That immediately puts you and me geographically in that story, in that picture. Because you fit somewhere in there, don't you? You're not from another planet. As far as I know. I hope I'm not. I don't think I am. But we're from this planet where the nations are. Adam's lost race. Christ's elect people. And we're called. We have more than a feel-good story, people of God. We have the truth. It's real. It's not a teddy bear to cover the pain. It's good news that heals the pain. We have to tell our neighbors. If we really believe that Christ is the only way and not to know him is to perish in hell forever, we won't be able to hide it from them. Then evangelical zeal, gospel zeal will so grip us that we want to make the most of every opportunity to share the gospel. In the workplace, you are his witnesses. Paul says, be a diligent worker. Be honest. Be respectful to your employer. And always remember, Jesus is your master. And then people will start to ask you, why are you like that? And then you'll be given a chance. Always be ready to give the reason for the hope that is within you. A young boy tells a neighbor boy that Jesus saved him. Wonderful. Do that. A father and mother have a child who have wandered from the faith, who has wandered from the faith. And they seek to take every opportunity with as much wisdom as they can in the power of the Holy Spirit to remind their son or daughter about the gospel. You are his witnesses. Even if you're not called to preach, you're called to testify. You're a martyr. You're a witness for the cause of Christ. We say, but how can I do that? Thirdly, there's the power. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, verse 49. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And we know that power, that promise is the Holy Spirit. Promised all through the Old Testament. Now that promise is about to be fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Go to Jerusalem. Pray for that power to descend upon you from on high. And to equip you for mission. 
Because we cannot do this work by our own strength, not by our own wisdom, and not by our own human courage. It's not a job for tough people. It's a job for weak people who have a tough God, a strong God. A God who not only sends his son in our flesh to die for us and to reign over us, but his spirit to clothe us, cover us, dwell in us, transform us from cowardly, scared, hiding disciples to out there with the gospel disciples, telling the world, being willing to be put to death. I can't think of any excuse that I use or you use that's good enough not to be a witness. We have lots of them. I don't know what to say. I'm not very eloquent. Others can do a better job. When I do try, I always put my foot in my mouth. Uh, They're probably not ready to hear. Uh, There are many excuses. I can't think of a single excuse that's actually sufficient, that actually works. Because every excuse we have comes from our own frailty. You know, I, I don't care how weak you are. And I, and I don't care how weak I am. Because obviously that's the case. What surprise is that? That's not news. The strength is in the spirit. And he overcomes every excuse. It's a perishing world. It's a despairing world. Losing itself in weed, drugs, alcohol. Empty amusements. Pilfering time and money. Suicide. And we have the good news, which is the key to hope, forgiveness, to God, to everlasting life. We have everything. Let's tell the world. And it starts with our closest neighbors. Sometimes the people farthest away from God are living closest to us. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that it has pleased you to create the gospel through Christ and by your spirit. And then to send that gospel out into all the world so that as you promised to Abraham in your covenant long ago, that all the families of the earth will be blessed through his seed, Jesus. You have made us witnesses of this. Lord, empower us, strengthen us. Give us the words. Give us the courage. Give us the wisdom. Help us to seize the opportunity. Help us to redeem the time. And through us, may many come from darkness darkness to light and from death to life. 
In Jesus' name we ask this, amen.